0: Good morning, church. We are going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 through 8 this morning. If you have one of the blue Bibles under your chair, it's going to be on page 577. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take this with you. This is our gift to you. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Alessi. Is that it, ladies? That's all we got. The guys drink coffee and they go to the woods once a year. Keep it simple, <laughs> men. My name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. I get to teach uh, most times. Xavier teaches and Sandy teaches well. But uh, we're in this uh, little space where we have a gap between a new series we're going to kick off. So I'm going to show you the graphic for starting next Sunday. We're going to be in the book of Revelation. That is just a cool graphic tied to a very, very intense book. If you've ever read the book of Revelation or have had it read to you by scary adults in your childhood... It's intense, and if you happen to have the book that actually explains it and unlocks the key, I would love to see it, because I've read a lot of books on it. Um, It's going to be great. It's the end of the Bible. It's God's final song, final picture of what he's going to do ultimately in this world, that we have hope. But in that hope, God is going to do some really intense things. The book of Revelation, we're going to open up next Sunday, and then we'll close it down in December when we start our Christmas season. So Revelation, if you're not familiar with it, if you want to, you can read chapter one. It's the easiest reading of the whole book. It just gets crazy after that. So chapter one might be the one you need to read. But today I get to just talk about the life of our church, more importantly, uh, who we are and who we are becoming. So here's my question tied to the prayer we Chandler led us through a little while ago. So this is the question at the heart of everything we do as a church. What sort of person are you becoming? Like not, you hope to come become one day, you think you are, but in actuality, because we believe there's a God who is gonna expose everything. Like there's not a cupboard in your life that God's not going to look at when it's all said and done. What sort of person are you becoming? Are you becoming more generous? Are you becoming more kind? More joyful? More patient? More content? More pure? Less addicted? What sort of person are you becoming? See, we hired Xavier beginning of this year... One of the best decisions i made in my life outside of my wife, Chandler, my kids, my house. And he's called the formation pastor, which is a great name, but a lot of people are like, I don't know what that means. Discipleship pastor, if you were in church 20 years ago, is what he would have been called, or adult education for some of you. He's the guy thinking about what sorts of people we are creating in this church. Discipleship is a good word. We like formation because here's the reality. Everybody is being formed into something without even trying. Like I was thinking as I drove in here. If you were to bonk your head on the walk in here, you get amnesia. You forget everything about your faith. Jesus is no longer your thing. You're not a Christian. I know that's not theological gospel. Just follow with me. But you leave here. Somebody picks you up and takes you into their home. From that moment, you're becoming someone. You're being shaped into the image of something. This world is not neutral. We don't sit in like a kiddie pool. We are in an ocean and the water is moving us whether we like it or not. What sort of person are you becoming? Here's our big idea for today as we kick off formation as a church. Spiritual formation takes patience and practice. Or if you love alliteration as much as me, I'll double it up on you. I'll say time and training. Spiritual formation, what Xavier thinks about more than any of us in this room, but we're all responsible for it when it's all said and done, takes time and training. Or there's a patient aspect to it, and there's an actual practice to it that's on you to do if you're going to become more like Jesus or be shaped, formed in the image of Jesus. So that's what we're doing. We're going to walk through. I've got a few just kind of stories from the heart and then a scripture I want to land on, but I want to pray for us, let us sit in this space, and just kind of sit with that question a little more. What sort of person am I becoming? So let's bow. And with that question at the forefront of our heart and our mind, what person am I becoming? Gotta pray at a minimum that people would walk out of here at least knowing they're becoming something. They're being formed, they're being shaped. On a higher level, they'd be humble enough to realize that the powers at hand are bigger and more powerful and more clever than they realize to shape them in a direction they don't wanna go. And yet your formation into the image of Jesus is not inaccessible. It's not impossible. It's not for the elite. It's for every man and woman in this room who calls Jesus Lord and Savior. We are called to be formed into his image. So as a church, that's what we want. Imperfectly, we offer it up to you. But with a passionate plea, we want to be formed into your image even more. So God, help us as we collectively gather our thoughts as we head off into this formation plan that we've been praying for for so long. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, here's where patience and practice. That's all I'm going to do is patience and practice. And I'm going to start with a story. So two weeks ago, I got a really nice gift. So part of my spiritual disciplines when I'm at my best is I go on a retreat day every month. And when I'm at my peak, it usually involves staying overnight by myself in the woods and when I'm at my peak, I don't mean, like, success, like I'm making a lot of money. I mean, like, I'm in tune with Jesus and the Spirit. I, I get a sense from the Lord, and I meet him, in a freshman, I come back, like, Aubrey's like, go on another retreat day tomorrow. I like this version. <laughs> but on these retreat days, I have very simple, I mean, like, the women's ministry versus men's. I want to do a couple things. I want to drink black coffee. I want to sit by a fire that I made. And I want to eat some snacks some Ding Dongs or some Skittles. That's it. Coffee, looking at the fire I created, eating a Ding Dong, done. So a couple weeks I go up, I'm like packing my stuff, getting the trailer all set up, asking Aubrey for help and I had a few thoughts. I'm like, I should pack some dry wood. I just get a sense. I'm like, nope, got too much to do. I gotta go, I gotta go be with Jesus. So I don't pack the dry wood, I'm packing all my stuff. I drive up, I get up, it's later than I want. It's dark, drive in. I'm like, this is gonna be a good one. I see elk everywhere. I'm like, Lord, you wanted me here. I'm glad, I'm glad we had this together. This is nice. Drive and then go to find a spot and every spot is covered in water. I didn't bring a four wheel driver, I brought a two wheel drive. So I'm like, I'm gonna get stuck and I'm gonna be miserable. I'm gonna be a terrible human when I leave this place. So I drive around for about an hour up by Woods Canyon Lake 260, I'm like a goon. Just, all right, where am I gonna? Finally, I find a spot. It's good enough. I get out. I'm like, at least I'm going to have a fire. I get out of the truck, and it starts raining. I'm like, are you kidding me? Come on. I can't have my ding-dongs until I have my fire. (laughs) So I go in the trailer. I open my journal. And often, on these retreats, I'll bring self-assessment questions because part of my Strength and weakness, just as a person in my personality makeup, is I live all my life like outside of myself. I'm always going, going, going. I don't reflect. Some of you are the opposite, like you can't get out of yourselves. I'm the opposite. I can't ever get in myself and be like, what do I think about this? I don't know. I got to go do something. So I have to write down questions to sort of walk through and like pull myself out. Some of them, this just, one was what practice that takes five minutes or less helps me connect with God? Sitting in my, it's raining, beautiful. In my leadership, where do I keep running into myself? Write down. And then this one was interesting. I've never been asked this question. I wrote this one down. What if I were, you got there, Yanni? What if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? And I get you could get very hippie and off on the rails real quickly. But I'm just curious for you. Like you're sitting in the woods by yourself, sitting in the camper. If I were at least as blank to myself as God is, your word would be what? Some of you would say kind, loving, gracious. Well, one word came to mind faster than any other question I answered in these 25 questions. It was like immediate. I saw that. What if I were at least as blank? And before I almost finished the questions, I wrote Patient. Because I had all this leading into this. There's a bunch of work stuff navigating, working through. And I just got all this like stuff revved up in me. And I write down, patient. I'm not patient. I assume God's not patient. Therefore, I assume God's impatient with the amount of work I'm doing. The church is not far along as it should be. My kids aren't as discipled as much as they should be. All my life is a little further back than it should be. And God's kind of sitting there. You're going to... you? So I wrote patient. Finish the rest of the questions, and then I go to bed in the camper, and I wake up to do the only thing I wanted to do, start a fire. So at 6 a.m., I go out, and everything's wet. You know where this story's going. It's all wet. That dry wood that would have been perfect is sitting on the side of my house over at 28th Street and Cactus, not up in the woods where I'm at. So I'm walking around the woods looking for the driest wood I can find. I find all these little pieces, they're all wet. I start to go make a stack of wood to start this fire so I could finally be with Jesus in this beautiful, wonderful way. (laughs) I'm not an Eagle Scout, Jack DeBartle is. I believe Seth is. There's ways Eagle Scouts go about this. I never took those classes, whatever. But I do bring gasoline for this very... (laughs) So I got it all stacked. I try paper towels, the paper towel gets it going, and then I'm like, all right, a little gas. (laughs) And then you guys that are smarter than me and know uh, this much science know that it just goes away because the wood is still wet, but I keep trying. 6 a.m., I start this. I look at the clock, it's like 7.30. I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. And I sit down. And I realize God's saying, patience. Patience. I don't cry, but I get like, thank you, Lord. I can write down an answer really quickly. Patience is what I need. And then sprint home. (laughs) Wife, you know what I learned? I learned some patience. (laughs) And I'm sitting there looking at a fire that will not start. So I just keep, keep working on the fire, and eventually it gets going, and I just sit down, and it's like God, the most gracious Father, takes my head and says, look it, it takes time, buddy. Be patient. Slow down. Take it easy, Nacho Libre would say. <laughs> Be Patient, I wrote down, anything worthwhile in this life will take time. Anything beautiful takes time. Anything rewarding will take time. Anything, anything in life that matters at all takes time. And uh, you guys all get that. And you that have grayer and less hair are saying yes and amen more than you know, youngster up there on the stage. Everything takes time. God created the world in seven days. He could have went. So based off estimation, young earth, old earth, it's thousands and thousands of years of creation or millions and billions of years of creation. Either way, longer than it should have taken if God would have been as impatient as me. He would have said, there it is. But on the first day, God speaks. And he doesn't rush through the first day. And on the second day, God speaks. And then on the third day, creation takes time. Just thinking about our creation, our state tree, any Arizona historians in the room? The Ironwood tree, thank you very much. Arizona history teachers in the room. It's like the most gangly-looking desert tree you'd ever see. You'll drive past it a million times. Certain people love it. It's like better than a Palo Verde, but by like a centimeter worth. (laughs) But it lives in Arizona perfectly because God created it. It can live up to 1,500 years, and it's the slowest growing tree, maybe out of all trees. Why? Because God is patient, and he gives us Arizona this picture. That tree took 1,500 years to get to that unremarkable state it's in. (laughs) I think of redemption, Adam and Eve, Eve eats, gives to her husband who's standing there. In that moment, all hell literally breaks out on earth. God does not step in like a parent and fix it right away. He walks over, kills an animal who did nothing wrong, takes the skin, goes and covers up his rebellious children, And then begins this beautiful story of redemption that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years later he would step down to earth again and instead of killing an innocent animal he lays his hands on his own son and takes that blood to cover the sins of the world and not like that but it took this whole bible to get there thousands and thousands and thousands of years think of the restoration of all things revelation God is still working. Now, this is where it gets to us. Now, what about you and me? Like, how do you how do you like your progress so far, Christians? Are you impressed with the speed at which you're learning the lessons God has been teaching you for years? Are you a little bit like me, like C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity? paints a beautiful picture of what God does in his timing. If you would let him. Here's how he describes Christianity. If we let him, he'll make the feeblest, the filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as cannot now imagine a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight in goodness. This process will be long, but that is what we're in for, nothing less. Like some of you are the feeblest, the filthiest, the fakest, the faintest, the most impatient, the most ridiculous. Fill in whatever you want. God takes those people, and he turns them into razzling, Bright, shiny displays of his glory. But it takes time. He goes way slower than any of us realize. God's work takes time, I wrote. Then I wrote this to myself and to us. I am God's work, therefore I take time. And then I wrote this down. This is what Jesus teaches us. And God is not looking at his watch the whole time. Steve? God's work takes time. I'm God's work, you're God's work, and he's not looking at his watch. He goes very slow. And all this is like hitting me as I'm looking at the fire that I worked my tail off to create. And some of you are like, I just got to see this fire. And for the sake of my wife, I took this picture, but you're now blessed. (laughs) That was not the response I was hoping for, but... We'll zoom in a little bit just to, so you can really get a there, look at that. I mean, just you can see the, there's a little orange there, and that's about how it stayed the whole time. And for the people driving down 260 up in Payson, they're like, that guy's ridiculous. And for little Christian boy Josh sitting there by this pathetic fire, it was his heavenly father saying, It takes time. It takes time. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. So then I started journaling. I'm all right. I don't often do Some people study the Bible this way. They go to the back and they look up words and they're like, what? what's God say about this and this? And I don't do that often, but I did now. And a few verses that came to mind as I went through Second Peter, here's how God's patience is described. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he's patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow as we think of slowness. He is patient, and according to Peter, his patience primarily is here because he wants us to come to repentance, to leave our silly, sinful, rebellious ways behind and turn to him. And if God's not patient, that doesn't happen. He's patient with us because he's wanting us to turn around and come back to him. Next one. This was the one that hit me. This is Paul speaking about his life. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I, Paul says, received mercy for this reason that my life might be a display of God's perfect patience for those who would believe us in this room and all who by faith believe in Jesus Christ. Like, my kids have a trophy shelf. It's like, oh, I got that for running club. I got that for participation, 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 participation. Oh, I, participation, uh, baseball. God's trophy case, Paul sits up there, and when people look at Paul's life, it's, what do I, Paul, the guy who wrote the Bible and did all these amazing things? No, he was the guy that God was perfectly patient with. Like, so patient that the only word to really Do it justice is perfect patience. That's Paul's life. A receiver of the patience of God. And then this is a famous one, but what hit me, Paul decides to describe love. And the first thing that comes to mind, love is patient. Like someone says, hey, describe your wife too. Describe Aubrey. Aubrey is. The first word that comes to mind speaks something. It doesn't speak everything, but it says something. I said, Aubrey is short. Like, Interesting marriage dynamic. <laughs> Aubrey is methodical. Aubrey is, tell us about love. Love is patient. God is patient. And as I looked at that stupid little fire, I just kept thinking, God, you're way more patient with me than I realize. And by extension, way more patient than I am, which has a whole other thing I can camp out on. But God is patient. Now, here's the question because I could end here and just do a terrible job of pastoring. Like, God's patient, period. Chandler, get up here, let's sing it out. Like, what do we do as we sit in the backdrop of God's patience? Here's what the Bible would say a lot of us do we just take it for granted. Some would call it cheap grace. Some would call it, Paul says, you presume upon the kindness of God. Meaning you just sit there and you just enjoy the fact that God is so patient, but you don't do anything with it. Here's what religion teaches, and some of us in this room have to battle quite a bit, is in that patience we got to prove to ourselves that we earned that patience. So we try really hard to show that we're the kid that deserves the patience of his father because look at us. Obviously, he's got to be patient with me. Look how good I'm doing, which is my default from time to time. Or I think the biblical answer would be instead of trying really hard is training really hard in the backdrop of his patience. We're not going to earn anything. We don't deserve it. But we don't just sit back and enjoy his patience as passive recipients. There's stuff to do. There's stuff to get done. There's work to be done. Christianity is not a bunch of people sitting here just receiving, although that's a big part of it. We also have work to do. And that's where the passage that Emily read a long time ago brings us as we talk about the practice involved. Let's just read it again together. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 So just context Timothy's a younger guy Paul's an older guy Timothy's trying to start churches and he's always you know running into issues that you run into at church and here's Paul's letter to him have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths rather train yourself for godliness for while bodily training is of some value godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let me just read it again. Rather, middle verse 7, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Just a reminder of the big idea. Just We got patience. And practice. Or the word Timothy would use, or Paul would use towards Timothy, would be training. What does it mean to be formed in the image of Jesus? It's gonna take time and it's gonna take training. Should Timothy quit his gym membership? Should Timothy sell his road bike? Should Timothy get rid of that hobby? Should Timothy sell his bow and his new rifle? Should Timothy stop reading so many books about fictitious characters? Timothy, train yourself for godliness. Bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Here's why training is so necessary. It's the only way we get formed in the image of God, but we also live in a culture that is forming us in the opposite direction that Jesus wants us formed in. Timothy lived it. We live it. It does not change. And just to pull back the curtain a little bit on this church plan. This church plan started a couple years ago. Part of being a church planner and part of every Christian's duty, this is not just me or the leadership of this church, is being a missionary to where God has sent you. In your school, your work, your vocation, your neighborhood, your street, your family, you're a missionary. So it's like you've got to be able to step out a little bit of culture and look at this culture and say, what does this culture need for me to be a good missionary? Like if we move to Africa or we move to South America somewhere, it's very obvious because the language, everything is different. So you know right away. But this is different. Some of you just moved here from Chicago because, well, Phoenix is better than Chicago right now. Great. And it's a little more subtle, the differences. But part of planting this church, I put together this contextual profile of this part of town. Some of you may be offended. Whatever. That's how North Phoenix people are. (laughs) But it's sort of like, so I'm from the West Valley. Very blue-collar. It's sort of like the people that grew up in Maryville-ish, and then it starts to grow out west. And then my parents moved out there. They're very blue-collar. It's like... A lot of people stay there forever. And then I did church way out in the East Valley, and everyone moves there from out of state because all these engineers work out there. So it's all these New Mexico people moving to get jobs at Intel and Apple and all this. So blue collar, white collar, everyone moving in. Well, what's this like part of town? You're like, I don't know. It's like me. Well, I'll tell you what you're like. (laughs) Just a few things. It's a balanced culture, meaning people here want to work and play in a life-giving way. People will choose work that gives them life balance. It has a West Coast Coast vibe when it comes to work and play. People spend a lot of time on hobbies. As a West Sider, East Sider, Texas person moving to this, this part of town is hobby filled. Like crazy amounts of hobbies. Just observation. Family centric. People love their families. This goes across all cultural lines. Families not looked down on. In Like in Manhattan, where it's like... It's like, uh, family's good. And singleness is not the goal here. And that's not to say singles aren't welcome here, but it's like family is held in high regard. Lots of Catholic influence. It's very outdoorsy. People love to hike, bike, run, be outside. And it seems like everybody has a dog and wants that dog to be with them wherever they go. <laughs> You're like, now I'm triggered. <laughs> So profile statement number three in this 10-page document I put together. (laughs) Work-life balance and family success are the marks of the good life in this area. Implications for ministry. Jesus is not needed to attain work-life balance and family success. It's just a fact based off the rules of success the world has given us. We will have to constantly fight for a deeper faith that is sacrificial and rooted in a deep all-of-life gospel. The life of sacrificial, death-like love will have to be creatively, courageously, and winsomely presented as the good life more than the balanced life. Jesus calls to come and follow him down a narrow road. This will have to be prayerfully shepherded, individually and corporately, over and over and over again. Paul says to Timothy, you could train yourself in such a way where all that training is of no value really in this life or the life to come. I wrote this, you could have a cute dog, beautiful pictures of the hikes you take, a great looking spouse, adorable journals with all your thoughts and feelings in it, kids with good grades, grandkids who vacation with you, a body that is impressive even into later years and you can all leave that at the door of eternity. We just delivered meals to a family friend a couple weeks ago. They're of the culture where you leave your shoes. I forgot. I was in flip-flops. I didn't realize that was part of it, but all the shoes are right there at the front door. Paul says, there's a way to go about life where you leave all of it at the door and you walk into eternity, whatever that is for you, with all that stacked right here. That should be sobering because no one gets out of that reality. You could leave it all right there. Paul says bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what do we do with that? Training is a pretty broad word. What are we going to do with that? We're calling this, which is not unique to us, spiritual practices, Xavier works his tail off trying to think of spiritual practice life of our church. And one of the best illustrations I've ever seen for this, a guy named Jonathan Edwards, famous theologian. I read a book about him and about his internal life. And he uses all these illustrations about spiritual practice in life. And the best one is, it's why I named my oldest son Elijah. We're pregnant in Texas. We want a poetic-sounding name to go with what because it's so abrupt. (laughs) And I'm reading 1 Kings in the story of Elijah. He's got this battle with the prophets of Baal. And what does he do? He builds a campfire. And he keeps bringing firewood. He keeps bringing firewood. And he keeps bringing firewood. And then they pour water all over it. And all the prophets of the other gods are dancing around trying to get this fire to start. And they throw gas on it. And they throw it and nothing. And Elijah prays, God, you are who you say you are. I told Aubrey the story in our little apartment. She's like, that's the name, Elijah it is. And it's also Jonathan Edwards' main illustration he uses for what's the role of spiritual practices in the life of a Christian. Firewood. Elijah had to pick up with his own hands and bring it, set it down. How hard to work? Bible doesn't fill it out. How hard are you working? Only you know. And then the Spirit of God sets the fire. How hot was that fire? It was hot as the Spirit-led fire and the man-made wood pile there combined to make. That's the internal life of a Christian. In seasons, in moments, of course, of a year, your marriage, your hardest season, your struggling season—it's a fire. Again, let me just show you. This is. Stop laughing. Messed up again. (laughs) But as we talk about spiritual formation, and we have all of Life Nights where we equip people, and we have all these graphics, and we, that's what it all comes down to, is all of us get to walk in there and choose, do I want to go get firewood or not? And do I want to put it on the fire? None of us get to choose. This is the other than pain and suffering we would ask for, this is the most frustrating thing about how God works, is he's on his own time, and the Spirit descends when the Spirit wants to, to light that fire in a way that is beneficial, that does not take away the fact that someone's got to go get the firewood. You're like, what is so what does this mean? What's, what's the, firewood, what's the fire, firewood for me? So here's some questions. Just We're going to wrap up, and then I want to ask you a point and question. What are these practices? Why are these the practices? How will we learn these practices? When will we do these practices? And ultimately, who is responsible? I think you get a sense of the answer to the last one. But here's the first or the next one. So spiritual formation at North Mountain. Every church is forming people. Every Mormon place is forming people. Every Catholic place is forming people. Every school environment is forming people. Everybody's getting formed. We're just explicitly saying this is what we're forming you into. Our primary goal is that people will be formed more into the image of Jesus through embracing his love and truth and growing in love for God and for others. That's spiritual formation. To be formed in the image of Jesus. Next slide. Two-year formation plan. Again, Xavier's talked about this in snippets, but just... Word, spirit, prayer, those are the foundations. We're not going outside of scripture. And we're not going in our own strength. The spirit is the only person that can empower us to do these things. It's the word, it's the spirit. And how do we enact those things, word and spirit? It's through prayer, the dependence of us, the people of God. And then here's the next thing in line with our church. We believe gospel-centered outward focus is like a holistic vision of ministry. Not different than a lot of other churches, but there's going to be practices that are real internal and focus on my internal life. And there's going to be practices that are external, loving others, moving towards others. And then finally, those, what I just said, inward practices, outward practice. So here they are. Just look at some of these words. You're like, I know what that word means. I don't do it, but I know what it means. Uh, Sabbath vocation. Sabbath is rest. Rest vocation is work scripture and simplicity fasting and generosity community and hospitality go next slide just to see the time frame so this is a two-year plan so a gcu student in here who's showing up if you're here for the life of your gcu career you go through this twice why because we need to be taught twice three times four times Five times. But just here's what I want to do, and then I want to ask you a question, put it back on you, and then pray us out. Why these? Like I'm a big John McCarthy guy. He just says you just need the word. I get that. Or I'm a big social movement person. I want to be out helping. Yeah, I get, I get that. Here's why these. Jesus modeled these. All these come from the life of Jesus. More than that, the people of God, both Israelites in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament, model these. Although the Old Testament was missing a key figure, namely Jesus, we the church look back at the Jesus and we get to base it off of this. But here's the biggest reason, which is going to be slightly annoying and frustrating. Based off that contextual profile, there's a culture, there's an undercurrent at play that is moving us all in a direction. So we had to pick practices that were going to be counter-cultural. For example, fasting. How many of you guys missed a meal yesterday? I didn't. Kicked it off with a light burger, ended with Barrow's pizza. I was killing it. (laughs) Simplicity. Oh, yes, my social media news feed really is pushing me towards a life of simplicity and contentment. hospitality in a world that's continually fearful as we head into another election season. I'm going to have all sorts of voters in my house. And Sabbath, we're kicking off with the most abrasive of all for that reason. If you're the amnesia character that I start off today with and you walk out of here, nothing about the world we live in is going to tell you to stop and to rest and to focus on the creator of all things. That just does not happen outside of a church community, opening this up, taking it serious, doing what he said, not trying to earn his favor, but trying to train really hard because we've got his favor in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So here's how I want to end. Show my masterful fire once again. So the simple question, how much firewood do you have? Like as you think about, maybe not what sort of person I'm becoming, just think about what work I've put into the Christian faith to place the wood at the altar that the Spirit of God is going to light. Part of that, that's a very open end. That's why we created eight, just to like start to give us a framework. I think if you pick two of those and master them, your light years different two years from now. So it's not about checking the box of all eight. It's about honestly assessing yourself. How much fire would do I have as I want a fire to start in my life of love between me and God and love for others? That's the question. The Bible has an answer. Train yourself for godliness. Bodily training, earthly training is of some good But a lot of that training you're going to leave at the door as you walk into your turning, And you're going to look at the present life and the life to come and realize, oh, no. I could have trained different. We're not about to sprint. We're about to take a two-year marathon jog together. Part of why we picked two years is just to visually see the slowness of the Christian faith as well. But this is what we're doing. We're building fires together. I hope they're better than mine. But throughout is, we all have work to do if we're going to experience Jesus deeply. Amen? Amen? I'm going to pray for us, and X is going to come lead us. God, I pray that we would be a church of truth and grace. That our effort and training would never outrun the grace that God is here. But we would never shy away from the truth of what your word requires and demands of us in response to what you've done and in hopes of what we want to become. So God, my prayer is simple in this moment. I pray that we would all have a somewhat of an honest assessment of ourselves. Not for despair, not for over-optimism, but just an honest assessment of where we're at in this stage of life and then a real hope to press further in to training into godliness so that the fire in our hearts of love for you and love for others would burn hot, burn deeply, and we'd experience you individually and corporately more because of the time spent in this church. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.